Welcome to episode four of Once Upon a Stage podcast. In this week's episode, we interviewed one of my dearest friends, Dee Rossioli. Dee is best known for her seven-year record-breaking run as Elphaba in the hit musical Wicked, and she was most recently seen as the standby for Star and Lady in the Cher Show on Broadway. Please help me give a warm welcome to Dee Rossioli. Yeah, that's why I was like, you can't be first because everybody expects you to be first. I, I have differing opinions about this. I feel like you should give the people what they want. But At what age did you realize you could sing? And who realized you could sing first, you or your parents? Um, okay, so I was probably eight or nine. And... Um, I literally would walk around the house screaming Annie, like not screaming the name Annie, but like screaming the soundtrack from Annie. <laughs> Could you imagine an eight-year-old, Annie! Annie! <laughs> I don't know how your mom would feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. No, so I would be, you know, yelling tomorrow or whatever. And my, actually it was my grandmother, my nanny. She was like, oh, Danielle, you can sing. And I was like, I can. She's like, yeah, you have a nice voice. And then it all kind of, she planted that seed and then it was all downhill from there. And here you are. Yeah. But my parents have always been super, super, super supportive of, you know, any kind of, you know, anything that I wanted to do, any endeavor with singing or acting. So side note, your mother is literally my favorite person. Oh, I know. She's my favorite person too. She's incredible she's amazing besides your parents is there anyone who you feel like has played a significant role in supporting you through your career um yes and her name is alex hora no. <laughs> can we get a round of applause <laughs> yeah yeah you just insert one of those Jesus. <laughs> no well yes you but also um you know my various people actually like all, all of my friends have always been super supportive kyle luker my manager from day one has been like just he's been fighting tooth and nail to to get me opportunities and he's always been my biggest fan he's always been there and he works really really hard for me so shout out to kyle what was your first ever musical theater performance that I gave or that I saw both uh, I can do both I can give the answer to both the first musical theater performance that I ever did was the great bug off to Washington in third grade. And I played the um, outspoken aunt, not like A-U-N-T, like A-N-T, like I was an ant. A bug? Like, yeah, the insect, yeah. hence the great bug off to Washington. <laughs> Wait, so I just, I came across some video and I had it like reformatted so you can watch it, I can watch it digitally because it was on beta tapes, beta, that's right, I said beta, not even VHS, beta. And um, yeah, it's hilarious to watch it. It's just like, you know, we're all in third grade and people are, you know, had construction paper, butterfly wings and the whole nine yards. I want to see this. With towels to make me look like I had a bigger thorax. Can we post it as a throwback? Oh my God. I actually, but I remember having a monologue and in this version, like the version that was taped, I didn't have, my friend Shelly gave the monologue. So I was like, I know that I had, I memorized this, but actually the saddest part about the great bug off to Washington is that it was the first audition that I lost the role that I wanted. I wanted to be Lana Ladybug because she got to sing this really cool song. She got to wear a really cool uh, 
costume and then she had this like mink stole that she wore and it was she was like pretty and then the boys like lifted her up and like paraded her around and I was like I wanted to be that so bad I remember I sang sunrise sunset for my audition but yeah I didn't get it and I got the ant and a disappointment for her sins. <laughs> Don't worry, you got Elphaba later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I show them all. And then I guess the other part of the question is the first musical I ever saw was Cats. That's ironic. On Broadway. Mm-hmm. First Broadway show. Mine, my first show was Donna Murphy's last in Hello, Dolly. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so like 2018. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. It does. She She didn't really know a lot about theater. I didn't. But didn't you see Wicked? Not as my first show. I saw Wicked with me. I took her in, in October. October of 2018. Yeah. I saw Hello Dolly in August. And then And then you saw Wicked and then she saw the Share show a lot of times. A lot. Oh my god. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. I thought you had so I thought you saw Wicked. No. That was a, an intense show cuz everybody obviously Donna Murphy is a legend and I didn't I mean, I didn't know of her at the time and everybody was like giving her standing ovations for like everything. Were you in the balcony too? Yeah. Yeah, there was a pole in my, so I could see half, like it was split. That's okay, That's I was in the last seat of the Oriental Theater for the first time I saw the Cher show. I saw your guys' last performance before the set broke. In Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot. That was, that was high drama. And uh-huh. I was, uh, poor Stephanie, I was like, I would be like, no. Because they were like, and then Stephanie, you'll say something here and make this up. And she was like, okay. Okay. You know, Stephanie, she's so business. She's like, yes, got it. And I'd be like, I'm freaking out. (laughs) Were you involved in any other extracurricular activities in school? I was in student council, I think. (laughs) You think? How do you not remember? I I was in like chorus and then I was in county chorus and then I got into state chorus. Did you do any sports? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I played field hockey for four years. I was a right back, that's a defense position. And um, I also ran track in the spring. I ran the 400 hurdles, the 100 meter hurdles and the 16 and 32 relays. I don't know what any of that means. I was a swimmer. Oh, oh, you were a swimmer. Yeah, we didn't have swimming in our school. They kept trying to like, wanted me to like, like play more sports I think because I look like I'd be athletic but I'm really just awkward they wanted me to like I remember they wanted me to play tennis so and I was like I don't like they they were like can you join the tennis team and I was like I don't really want to like no but join and I was like okay so like I joined tennis and then like I was like this is not working so I quit which I never did I didn't really ever quit things I once I started I would do them but tennis was really wrong for me and also basketball they kept trying to get me to do basketball for a long time when I was really young and I was like no and it was going to interfere with drama club and I was like I'm not going to go to basketball rehearsal and give up drama club yeah my swimming competitive swimming I was in it interfered with choir so when we had choir concerts I had to like either leave swim practice or leave a swim meet to yeah. go to choir what was did a you swim? distance I swam oh. the 500 it was awful i feel like i'm a fish out of water when i am in the water (laughs) for some reason they gave me distance i don't know why i hated it swimming Um, is hard swimming is so hard my school was very competitive like we were we weren't top in indiana but we were we were up there my high school was a very competitive with swimming like everybody knew about the swim team i will say that i swam 
with a broken foot. I swam the 500 with a broken foot that I got from swimming, by the way. And I beat somebody. Because I, I, I didn't kick my legs because obviously broken foot. But I still swam because I was bad during the 500 and I didn't kick my legs. And I would just pull myself. That's why I had a ton of upper body strength. I just dragged my foot behind me the whole time and I still beat a girl. Like, you're coming with me. And your foot's like... I'm broken. Getting back on track. Not a lot of people know about that quote, make that elephant disappear. I love that quote. And I was actually went back the other day and read about it in an article. As a high schooler, how did you interpret that quote then? And has your interpretation of that changed as you got older? So Danny Kay, who was my first acting teacher, and then he became my high school drama teacher. And so he would, you know, direct our shows. He, you know, he always would tell the story about, you know, making the elephant disappear. He told it as if it was his story. He was using this story as a way to kind of let us, you know, to believe in theater magic. And I don't know if I knew, to me, when I was younger, like when I was in middle school, when he was saying this, it was more about doing a good job. Making the elephant disappear mean, meant that we were successful in our theater production and everybody did a good job, whatever that meant. But that's what my brain thought. Now it's more about recognizing theater magic and it's really not about good or bad. It's about transporting the audience to a different place. And, um, and I mean, that's, I think that's why we sign up to be actors. That's what we do or creatives in general, like to transport people to another place. So. I love that quote. And I was actually reading that article and he said something, he said the first person that cries or something wins and you cried within 15 seconds. Oh my God. It was so brutal. I'm like in sixth grade, I think, right? <laughs> this is when I started taking at the performance studio. And like, there's these mirrors, right? And we're all like, it's like line up, you know, crisscross applesauce sitting in front of the mirror. And like, he's like, okay. He's like, everybody close your eyes. And then, you know, pull to mind a memory that will make you sad and the first person that cries wins, which is really, I mean, it's a little brutal if I'm being quite honest, but it works because it actually, I learned that I was like, oh, my emotions really are at the ready for me. And they, they've always kind of been that way. I've always kind of been, they've always been just right under the surface, which is, comes in handy as an actor. It can also be a little bit of as a hindrance too, because sometimes if you're feeling the emotion, you can be tricked into being like, oh, I'm, I'm acting now. But it's not, obviously, it's so much more than that. Having your emotions, you know, readily available is a piece of it. Um, and I, I have been blessed. Now, I, I say that now I'll never be able to cry on cue again. Who were your role models growing up? And did you see yourself as anything other than a performer? Yeah, I mean, I um, when I was really little, um, my mom said that I wanted to change my name to Cindy and be a meter maid. And I'm not joking. <laughs> Oh, meter maid. <laughs> yeah, meter maid. That was my big, that was my, my, I was, you know, hell bent on being, you know, I was going to go to college for um, meter studies. And uh, no, I, um, yeah, I feel like I like, I, you know, I was like a kid that like had a whole bunch of like, you know, how, like when you're a kid, you're like, I'm going to be a baker and, you know, and a break dancer and a truck driver. And that's going to be everything I do. So it's like, I had a whole bunch of those. And then it was just kind of when acting kind of came along, like when I started going to the performer studio in middle school, I kind of was like, I think I want to do this. I think this is what I want to do. I feel comfortable here. I feel I'm, I felt like I was good at it. I wasn't good at it, but I felt like I was like, it felt like a calling to me. So it was very easy for me to say, yeah, I know what I want to do. And that's, it's 
I, I feel bad for not feel bad, but I, I understand the struggle when people are like, I don't know what I want to do. And you have to go to college and you have to pick something. And I can't even imagine that that must be so incredibly terrifying. And I, I didn't have to have that struggle. I just kind of knew and stuck with it. And then now here I am. And luckily I, you know, whatever we call success, I feel like I've had some success. So I've been a working actor and I'm able to be a working actor. And so didn't you want to be Wonder Woman too, when you were little? Oh, I, I didn't want to be. I was convinced I was because I would if I remember some, my my aunt is relatively close in age to me. She's like five years older. And um, she like we would like she grew up across the street from me. Um, my dad's brothers and sisters were across the street. So the younger aunts and uncles were like my brothers and sisters. And then next door to them was a uh, um, Becky and Jen. And they were like the two neighborhood girls. And we would all like when we were younger, we would play together. And Jen and my aunt Rachel would get into a fight, at which point I would take it upon myself to run around the corner because I was committed, turn around in my circle to turn into Wonder Woman, come back, break it up, Wonder Woman. And Jen would crack up and my aunt would be so insulted. She'd be so much, but don't encourage her. But yeah, I was constantly like lassoing people with lots of truth. I mean, no flying in my imaginary, my invisible jet though, because that was a little too hard to produce as a kid, so... I mean, that that's cute, though, because me, when I was younger, me and my cousin would always pretend to play Harry Potter, and I was always Ron. <laughs> she, oh I don't God. know why. I was always Ron. He was my favorite character. And my cousin was Hermione and Harry. I was like, why do you get to be two people and I'm only one? And we would, like, play with the dirt with sticks to make potions. And I, I, used, to, I used to put on plays when I was little. Yeah, I did that, too. Oh, there's still a sign on my grandma's door. I saw it the other day, and I'm like, it says, like, my name and who I was. I don't even know what show it was, but my cousins and I used to put on performances all the time. Did you ever do the thing where, like, I used to, and this is actually really sad, but I used to, with my friends, we used to, like, learn dance routines and then, or oh, make yeah. up dance routines do them. But like I could never do them, you know. I they can't were actually, dance. No, no, I really, yeah. Well, I really can't. And like I was with girls that could actually kind of dance, and like you know, I was just doing my awkward thing, but thinking that I was like nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, we're gonna talk about Pokemon Live. How did you get this role? Um, very carefully. No, <laughs> it was actually so. I don't know if this is the appropriate term anymore, or if this is what they call them, but I went to a um a cattle call <laughs> that's what they call these big auditions it was I, I don't know what they call it now but it was a it's a it's like you know there's like 400 people there it's like and they're you know we're all waiting because you get the you get the notice and backstage that they're casting for this and you're like okay I'm gonna go in and uh so I went in and Dave Clemens casting was casting it and I sang Celine Dion's um, It's All Coming Back to Me Now. It's a pretty dramatic song for a 23-year-old, but, you know, I was ballsy. And um, and I did well. And then, you know, they called me back and um, I ended up getting it. But what's funny about that is that I also booked the Godspell tour. It was going out at the same time. It was like the one that was back in 2000, 2000 I think. I got the call from the Pokemon Live people first. So like, hey, you got the job. We want you to be um, Delia Ketchum, Ash's mom. And I was like, awesome. Yes, great. Click. And then like a day later, I get a call from the Godspell people that were like, hey, I don't even remember what they said. Like, we want to offer you the job. I was like, sorry, got a job already. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> 
And thank God Kyle came along later to save me from that. So I didn't have to Did you have any sense of what Pokemon were when you did Pokemon Live? I mean, yeah, I knew what it was, but I didn't know the intricacies of like, you know, what it meant or like catching them or. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. <laughs> See, this is why I played the mom. Did you ever play Pokemon Go? Oh yeah. You mean like on my phone? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben still plays it. I'm like, are we over this? Like, I thought we were like moving on. How did you um, prepare for that role? I didn't. I mean, I know I did not. <laughs> I showed up. I showed up to rehearsal. They said, "These are your lines." I said, "Great." Teach me the song. I learned it. And then, uh, she had no idea that it was on YouTube, so I was gonna make yeah. her watch it. Don't do that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we blast uh, blasted the cast recording the other day. Maybe. Some of the songs are really good. They slap. <laughs> well, you know, I have to show you a little trick. So Misty's song, whatever that ballad is, I forget what it's called. If you when the, when it starts, you can sing Mariah Carey's uh, "There's a Hero." It fits in there. We used to do it backstage. I guess I'm going to have to pull up this cast recording later. Legit, when we were trying to think of questions for you, we blasted (laughs) your songs from that. You got your inspiration for questions for me from the Pokemon Live soundtrack? Just just for this section. Just for this section. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, just for this section. Okay, okay, okay. All right, well, we'll be done with Pokemon Live. Let's talk about Wicked because we have to. What was the most challenging song for you to sing? Well, they're all challenging, but I would say, first of all, Define Gravity is probably the hardest one. And that's just because of everyone's expectation of what it should be. And it's kind of this sweeping epic thing. And, you know, for a long time, I I really didn't quite understand it and like didn't understand the magnitude of it. And like, I think as I did the role, I started to understand that and it started to get better and like, not vocally, but just like, you know, acting wise and, and things. And I kind of got it more, but a tricky song for me was I'm not that girl. And it wasn't because of the low note. It was because it was really the only song in the whole show that is kind of soft and like easy and pretty. And like, it was hard after all that bombastic singing and yelling at everybody but it was, it's like hard to like get back to that. And I feel like when I, I noticed that when I was most tired, the beginning of Defying Gravity, because it's so like lightly sung and that one were really hard because I had no, I lost all the finesse in my voice, all the nuance in my voice because I was tired because, you know, I'd been doing the show for a hundred years. So it was, it was hard to really, and I, I didn't really enjoy it because I was worried about making it sound pretty when they called you up to go to the tour to cover for Allison Luff did you like freak out when they called you or you're like I got this because it had it been a little hot second before you had done it no I fi- I finished earlier because Allison took over for me in Dallas wow. and whenever that was so then by that s- summer that's when I was back so I was that was actually the closest that was the shortest amount of time I had I've had between contracts i mean i only did a week there but that was nice actually because that's where i ended and that was in philadelphia and so it was like not my hometown but it was the closest you know wicked was going to get to my hometown so yeah say that that was and i thought about that at the time i was like i wonder if this is actually going to be my last show this this i if this is my last show i will be happy with this because it's here and i'm ready to say goodbye and this is okay no i'm going to speak it into existence that you're coming back listen I, I wouldn't turn that down. I really wouldn't. I just want her I, to see you as Elphaba, but that's okay because the bootleg's on YouTube. <laughs> There's just so many, like, 
I, I, I might have like outgrown it at this point. I don't know. Um, Get out the old, the old Elfie, old <laughs> Stella. That's the other thing too, is that oh. I would need my wigs. I would need all new wigs. I probably would need new costumes. I would be too expensive for them to bring back. But you're worth it. Over your entire journey with Wicked, what was one of your proudest moments from all those years of being in the show? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it's hard to just pin down to like a like a like a, a singular moment. Um, I have moments. <laughs> so I think closing the Chicago company was one of them. Getting to like breaking the record when I was on Broadway. That was another milestone for me. And I think then going back to the tour and like, I think overall, I would say that like what I'm most proud of is my consistency. I don't know. I was really hard on myself and I didn't really let anybody know that, you know, I appeared like I was cool, but I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like inside it was like inner turmoil. And like, I think that there was a lot of fear around playing that part. I did it and I was, you know, but I had this, I was holding on a little, like looking back now, I can see, and it got better as, as my tenure with Wicked went on, but like, especially in the beginning, like I was like really holding on so tightly because I was like so afraid to mess it up or to disappoint someone or, you know, not be good enough. And like, so you have all this kind of running through your head and you're like carrying this giant show and then you can't really let anybody else know because then they'll get freaked out. Cause you know, if the leader isn't sure, then nobody else can be sure. So it's like, and like I said, as I went on and on and on, it I was able to relax more and more and more. But yeah, it would be interesting to go back to it now because now I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have the same outlook. It would be completely different. Also, I had this thing where I was like, I will not call out, and like that's just I was gonna say that's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. I know it's it's useless. It's completely well, yeah, it's just useless. So, but I was consistent, and I'm really proud of that. And I I did do my eight shows, and like um, and I pushed myself, and I learned a lot about what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And you impacted a lot of people. Yes, yeah, that show definitely has impacted people, and I got to be a part of that, and I'm very very proud of that. Are there any notable celebrities that you met while doing Wicked? Uh, yeah, I mean, Justin Timberlake was probably the most notable because um, then he invited, it was Aaron Mackey and I, and then he invited us to his show and we went to his dressing room. What? I did not know this. Oh yeah, we went to his dressing room and he was like, first of all, he comes to the show. He's like, you guys are great. We're like, thanks. <laughs> and like, he's like, you should come see my show. He's like, okay, you hooked up with tickets. Aaron decides she's not going to go. And, um, cause she was busy. And so the company manager and some, and his friend came and I went with my ex-boyfriend, Matt, who was my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. We went to his concert and like beforehand he was like, come by and I want you to stop in my dressing room and say hi. And I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go, we walk in and he's like sitting at his big piano in his dressing room, like kind of warming up and playing. And I was like, oh my God. He's like, Hey, Hey guys, come in. You want a beer? And I was like, I'm okay. And I brought him a copy of Wicked. I'm such a dork. I brought him a copy of Wicked. I don't even know why I did that. He's like, thanks. I wonder if uh, he still has it. Who cares? I mean, I don't I'm like, what, what am I, what? <laughs> I would have been, it would have been better to bring him a six pack than to bring him a copy of Wicked. I'm so lame. And then he was like, and then he wanted us to come back after the, um, after the show. And I was like, so nervous. Like, okay. And so we came back, like we saw the show and we came back and like, he was like, you know, they were all making plans to do their thing and we weren't invited to that thing. And I mumbled something about him being a really great musician. And then we left. So it was like, 
it was it was fun but i was a dork well i also met uh morgan freeman though that was pretty cool oh that is really cool yeah he was pretty neat and michelle and the girls came to see i they i know they saw me twice because i i they were they came to chicago once and i was doing the show there and in dc they came and i know this because i almost <laughs> smacked into a secret service guy when i was going to the queue to pop out at the end. that is awesome actually yeah it was pretty fun. What was the worst onstage mishap? And have you ever injured yourself while playing Alphaba? Injured myself all the time playing Alphaba. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Breaking nail. Well, I mean, this isn't an injury. I broke a lot of nails. <laughs> it counts. You still broke something. Yeah, I broke my nails a lot. No, I mean, nothing really terrible, but like, you know, I always had scrapes on my hands and I was like, where are all these coming from? And like, I realized that I was like, gotta grip the prop really hard. Don't drop the broom. <laughs> he was like squeezing for dear life. I'd be like in the air and I'd like drop the broom or something. Yeah, I think Jackie did that one time actually. Or she, <laughs> she, she, for like, yeah, she accidentally let it go before she went up and it was like, she was like, huh, I'm gonna be fired. But do you have any onstage mishaps besides that? I mean, like forgetting lines and things like that. You know, I had my scene with Annalie where I completely forgot the almost the entire train station scene. You know, I'm supposed to be talking about, you know, oh, you know, you you have Fiero and blah, blah, blah. And I don't really remember what I'm supposed to say, but <laughs> I didn't remember then either. And I just mumbled a bunch of stuff that was incoherent. And then I said to Emily, I go, well, you know, her response was, I do know. And then she kind of said everything that I was supposed to say. I so love you. I like a complete panic because you're like, oh my God, people aren't going to get it. Now they're not going to know. They're not going to know the major pivotal plot points. And I'm like, no. My favorite onstage mishap, I wasn't there, but I've seen the bootleg, is the wand blooper with Megan Sakura, where you, like, the wand rolled back on stage mm. and you completely broke character. You were laughing so hard. And then she looked at you and she's like, are you ready? <laughs> she didn't. Oh my god, I have to watch that. I haven't seen that in so long. Oh my god, that was funny. Katie Rose Clark. See, things happen to other people around me, and then you know, but it's not really. I nothing really yeah. terrible has happened to me. But I remember Katie Rose Clark needed a new Glenda wig really bad, and so they were kind of trying to push it and push it in the winter. And this wig had had it. It was like done, and it was really dry and. <laughs> theater that night and like as she's doing popular you know she's like shaking her head and the hair is like me, 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 until it's like a complete like complete like halo around her head of just like blonde and she like I'm like in hysterics because it's just getting worse and the audience is laughing a little harder too because I think they could see it too and then like she catches on that oh my god my hair is looking really crazy right now and then she starts she was like then once she realized then we really went to crazy town and she was just like toss tossing for Jesus and it was like it was insane and then at one point she said it's electrifying that's really oh, funny oh that's funny <laughs> what is your biggest takeaway and what have you learned from playing Alphaba? That's like a really big question. Amy, what has the character taught me? Or what have I learned from playing her? However you want to interpret the question. What's the question again? <laughs> I'm going to say in general, I learned that everything is really just so much bigger than me. And I don't really have to worry about all the little things like I think I do. And I don't know, that's a really, it's actually a really hard um, question to answer because it's just, there's just 
so much. I can't really condense that into one single like couple sentences because it's really hard to put my finger on. Like I I feel very close to Alphabet because I see similarities, but I, and I also see you know the mistakes she's made in her let's put quotes around this life, and so I can kind of see you know. I don't know, learn from people and learn about friendship. Although I feel like the friendship thing, I've always been, I feel like I've always been pretty good about like accepting new people and, and trying not to judge people. So I feel like that, I, that really, that's just in me. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that. I do want to talk about Circus and Winter. I love Circus and Winter. But a lot of people haven't seen the show and they don't know much, if anything, about it. Can you give a quick little synopsis of it? Yeah, um, it's about a circus in the wintertime. <laughs> You're doing so good right now. I know. No, but it really is. It's about like this this group um, and it gets bought up by, um, you know, it's funny because the show is complete. When I did it in what, 2014, um, when I did it then at, at Goodspeed Musicals, um, it's changed so much now. And like what's being written now is completely different than what we created then. So... I think the idea of the show is, you know, these people from all different backgrounds and, you know, all different lifestyles coming together and being in one, you know, having one kind of focus to get this circus up and running to people. But really, it's not really about the circus running. It's about the people coming together um, to create something. It's kind of like the Island of the Misfit Toys. Like that's those people together, those characters together. Um, Ben's going to kill me, but that's okay. He's really good at describing his shows because he writes them. So, <laughs> And that's where you met Ben. Yes, that is where I met Ben. That's, but you know, we, he was busy writing a musical and I was, I had a boyfriend at the time and um, yeah, we didn't get together until like well, a year after that because I, uh, Matt and I ended up breaking up thankfully. And then, you know, we, <laughs> We're at our friend Tori's birthday party. And um, he was like, I, I, I said, well, I, gay marriage had just got passed. And so I was like, hey, I gotta run. I'm gonna go meet my friends downtown at this gay bar called Julius. And um, and he was like, oh, can I come with you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, you know, kind of newly single. So I was like, oh, this is fun. And um, I didn't really think anything of it. I was still thinking of, thinking of him as a friend, but yeah, that night it's, things, our dynamic changed. And then um, we kind of slowly inched our way towards being together in the months after that, because I had left to go do a show after that. And, and then we would kind of text and he was like, I don't know if I want to get involved with her. She's in my show. Aww, so, ben. Yeah, it was really sweet. He's, he's funny. We sweet love Ben. Guy. How did you originally find out about the show and what inspired you, I guess, to audition for it? I got the audition and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, you get an appointment, you go. Yeah. Um, and I I had actually read the script and I was like, I didn't really like it. <laughs> um, I thought it was clunky, but I was going to do, I was going there to do a workshop. So it was going to get rewritten anyway. So I actually went into the audition and it went really well. And then I left and I was still living in Chicago at the time. So I went back to Chicago. I got a call back and I said, well, I can't come back for the call back. So I guess I'm just going to let this go. And they actually cast Teal Wicks in the part. And then, um, I don't know, a few weeks after they cast her, I think that she, she pulled out for whatever reason, because she had some kind of like health thing, or she had to like go to her family or something. There's a reason why, I don't know. She couldn't do it. And then you know, it came back to me. They called me like, okay, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, 
Sure. Like now I'll come back. <laughs> I remember. So I remember the first rehearsal. So this is crazy. So I had had my first show at, uh, well, I guess it's my only show at 54 Below the night before rehearsal started. So I was in New York City. Rehearsals were in Connecticut. And, you know, I had done this big show at 54 Below. And then like, I was out celebrating with all my friends and I was drinking and I knew I had to get on a train at like six in the morning because rehearsal was at like 10. And I looked like hell, like uh, kind of like now I had like no makeup on, <laughs> my hair was disheveled. I was like half awake. And I normally, that's not my MO. I normally don't roll into the first day of rehearsal. It was just the way these things overlapped and I wanted to have fun after my show. That guys worked really hard on it. So I roll into this rehearsal and like, like we're going through the script and like they're talking about my character, Jenny Dixiana and just, you know, how beautiful she is. And she's just so hauntingly beautiful. And it's just, I keep saying it. And I remember being like, shit. And like, I went into my bag and I like, remember pulling out a chapstick and I'm like, that's going to help. I remember that moment. I was like, I'm definitely getting fired for not being pretty enough right now. <laughs> and then I wore makeup the next day, faux show. What was your um, favorite song from the show? Do you ever think it'll make it to Broadway? Yeah, they're working. They're actually working on it right now. Yeah, uh, Joe Calarco and um, Ben are working really hard on it. And um, this, like I said, the script is completely. It's not the same story. I mean, it's the same bones, but it's like completely different storytelling. I don't even know. I just know little bits and pieces. Um, and yes, I, I do hope it makes, makes it to Broadway because honestly, it's like, it's really, really good. And I think people would really, really like it. And the music is just, I remember the music isn't changing much because the music has just always been incredible. Um, it's matching the script because the source material is actually this book by Kathy Day called The Circus of Winter. And it's just basically a series of characters um, at this circus. Oh, I remember the, like going over the music, um, at the, like in the first days of rehearsal and like. I remember thinking like, holy crap, I can't believe that I'm, I can't believe they cast me. I can't believe I get to sing this. This is like, this is really good. Like somebody's going to want to have this. I better do a really good job. So they keep me. But yeah, so I, I really do hope it goes to Broadway. And do you ask my favorite song? Yeah. I'm going to say it's uh, Never Alone is my favorite song. And I often sing it. And I just think it's like, it's such an incredible song and it's storytelling and it's sweeping kind of nature and it's, it's a challenge to sing and it's also fun to sing. Um, really any song from that show, I'm I'm in. I love that song. Yeah. I went to the um, the reading at oh. October 2019, I think it was. I went to the reading and it was so good. So like, I would love to see that show on Broadway. I would love to see it at all. I know. I wonder if they haven't yeah. taped anywhere. What's the biggest message that you think someone could take away from seeing this show? Oh, I think it's about camaraderie and friendship and um, coming together. And I think that that's why it kind of, it would be great if it was happening now. But yeah, that's, that's I think, the, the crux of it. Um, and everybody's, you know, you can celebrate everyone's differences, but still be on the same team. We're going to transition to share show. Okay. What attracted you to even audition for the Share Show? Um, actually, uh, my friend Craig Breedlove, who's the makeup artist um, at Wicked, he literally called me one day and he's like, "They're doing a Share musical. You're going to be Share." And I was like, "Wait, what?" And he's like, "They're doing it. You need to call your agent right now." And I was like, "Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll okay." So I called Kyle and I was like, 
I don't know, they're doing a musical about Cher's life and Craig seems to think that I could be Cher. I don't think I could be Cher, but he thinks so. So do you know anything about it? And he was like, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he did some research. And at that time, all three Cher's were cast. It wasn't Teal yet, but it was Michaela and it was Stephanie. And the only way into it would be to be a standby. And, you know, Kyle convinced me that going in for the, um, cause they were casting for the ensemble at the time. He's like, just go in for an ensemble track. And he's like, they'll see that you're right for it. And they'll, you know, you'll get an audition via standby. And that exact thing happened. So I did that. And then they're like, oh yeah, you could be sure. So um, then I went in for the standby and then I booked that part and then the lady became available and I went in and auditioned for lady and Teal had, among other people had auditioned. And then it just proved that I was, you know, the standby position was a better fit for me because I could be the bridge between Stephanie and Teal. I could play both of those parts. So that was going to be hard to cast and Teal fit perfectly into lady. So how did you um, mentally prepare for both of those roles? And how did you separate the two? Well, I think the big difference is like the time between the two, this is, it's the same person. So they're, I didn't really treat them as separate people. I just, it's just, you know, one has a knowledge that the other one doesn't and a confidence that the other one doesn't. So it's just, if I could infuse Star with more confidence and more knowing than Lady, and Lady was a little bit more floundering and it, you know, kind of comes out in her comedy too. She's really dry and like uncomfortable a little bit at times. So I think that was like the main difference in, in how to kind of putting it together. But I didn't necessarily think of them as separate and I learned them kind of all together. It was crazy, but I, you know, I ended up, it just, I was a little frantic, like, you know, talking to myself in the dressing room because at the time I could do like all three. So I'd be like being babe, lady and star in my dressing room, you know, it was a little crazy. And then of course the, the other swings, they would, we would all run lines together. So that was always helpful, but it was always like, who do you want to be today? Star or lady? How did you develop the confidence to be okay with being so exposed on stage with the costumes and everything? This is a tricky subject. Okay. So, um, I, I worked out a lot. I went to the gym, which I think was a good thing for me because I'd always kind of made excuses, you know, about working out. Oh, I don't want to do it or this or that. And so I knew that I was going to have to really put my mind to it because um, I was going to be exposed and I wanted to put my best foot forward. I also changed my diet a little bit. And I think that if I'm really being honest, like I think I went a little too far sometimes. I remember being really hyper aware of what I was eating and, um, I would beat myself up if I would like slip up. And I, you know, I think I just learned that that's not really the best way to do it because really it's not about what you look like. It's about the confidence that you're exuding. And I think that, you know, I've, that's a lesson that I've learned from doing the share show. And because really at the end of the, at the end of the day, no one really looks like Cher. She's an anomaly. Like her body is an anomaly. So I think that like, you know, cause if you look at Stephanie, Stephanie's like, she's statuesque she's built she's like looks very strong and like her body is gorgeous you know what I mean but she didn't like she did her thing she went to the gym she you know ate correctly but you know she wasn't she didn't like let it get to her and I think I let it get to me a little bit but like I said it's a really valuable lesson to learn with being a woman in this industry did you have any memorable onstage mishaps in the share show or any like memorable or special moments with the shares as well? 
Yeah, I mean, the first time going on for Star and the first time going on for Lady was pretty magical just because I've always, well, especially Lady because I had always been a fan of Stephanie and then to get to share the stage with her was incredible. And she was really gracious and lovely to me and that felt really good. And for Star, it was just, it's so funny because the, the first time I went on, I just remember being so incredibly nervous and like I'm playing like, the epitome of confidence and like she's a you know shares a rock star so it was just hilarious that I'm like you know uh, everything is cool and inside I'm like freaking out <laughs> <laughs> so I remember like those things and of course as I, I did star I like calmed down a little bit but you know you never really get to do it like get your engines going like when I would have like a week to go on it felt better because I kind of could figure it out but um I don't as far as mishaps I don't think anything crazy happened. I don't think I ever really forgot anything. You were really good at calling people out, though. Like in like uh -huh. when they would walk in late, <laughs> you were good at calling people out when they were like, oh, that's not a mishap, yeah. but I just had to say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Stephanie kind of created that thing where, you know, you could, she would do this funny thing where she would say, somebody would come in late and be like, oh, you went over to that restaurant. She's like, I told you not to get the steak well done. They, they yeah. can't do it. They, they, she said something like that. It was really, really funny. Um, she would crack me up. She's just so free like that. She'll just, she says whatever she wants and she does not care if it lands or not. She's just going on with herself. And it was like, that was cool to learn from her actually. Her just kind of freedom of, she's going to like slap it against the wall. If it sticks, great. If it doesn't, okay. And then she's moving on to the next thing. Do you remember, were there a lot of times where you would have to go on like at the last second where you didn't even have time to like mentally like prepare and they're just like, go. That only actually happened once. From what I remember, because Teal didn't ever, Teal's were always planned. She did get sick, but I, my costumes weren't ready. So Elena Waters went on instead of me because uh, Elena could fit into Teal's costumes. Yeah, with Stephanie, I think that only happened once. And that happens, you know, I mean, that's just the way it goes. I've done that same thing where it's like, you think you're okay. And then you're like, actually, I'm not okay. And so I had like 15 minutes and I just kind of threw myself together. It was funny because Stephanie, like there's like, when I go on for Steph, I'm in her dressing room. So, but Stephanie was in her dressing room. <laughs> so I have a, I have my own dressing room, but it's on the other side of the building and it's not where any of my cues are or where any of the costumes are set up. So I have this thing called a go bag, which has all my makeup, everything. So I bring my go bag and normally I set my stuff up in Stephanie's room. Like the dresser will come and take all of Stephanie's makeup and stuff and put it up top. And then I come in with my makeup and set it all up and get it all situated and, you know, have it be my space. And then when I'm done with the show, I clean it all up, put it in my bag and leave. But like this was like Stephanie was still in her dressing room, like figuring out, like getting her stuff together to leave. So I had to go do my makeup in the girls dressing room. But it was so great because like I was with the ensemble girls and they were like, you know, I was always in that dressing room just, you know, hanging out when I wasn't on. So it was it was fun to be, you know, nervous and excited to go on and like have them around and being so supportive. And so it was fun. Did you have any um, pre-stage rituals for Share Show? Yeah, I do a lot of visualization and meditation and um, like a couple, uh, just like a couple like yoga moves to get my body flowing. But yeah, and I, I like to, I, I do like to have a ritual because then it like creates, I, I feel like if I have a pattern to stick to before the show, then I can be freer on stage. Um, this is what I've learned about myself, at least that like, if I can just do this, this prep work beforehand 
And when I get out there, I'm like, I've done that work, so I don't have to worry about it. Now I can just do whatever I need to do. You could capture any moment of your life in a snow globe. What would it be? I mean, that's a beautiful question. God, I wish I had some sweeping answer. I guess it would be the moment that, um, I guess that moment for me would be when I first got Alphaba, because that's really like when, when Kyle told me I got the part. I wish I had some kind of like fun outdoor thing that happened that I wanted to preserve. But yeah, like him telling me and, and getting to call my mom that whole moment. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What's the most useless talent you have? Well, it's very specific to Ben and I. And I don't know if it's necessarily useless, but he can't find anything. He, even if it's literally in front of his face, he can't find it. It could be like, I don't know, where's the hand? I don't see it. I don't see a hand. I don't see a hand. That's like, you. That's no, you. it's not. Yes, it is. But I can walk in there. I cannot know where the thing is that he's looking for, but I'll walk in and I'll be like, here, it's right here in like two seconds. See, you or guys like, are perfect for each other. Yeah, we really are. Or like, it actually works in messy rooms too. Like I can, like, it's almost like a game, like, because my room was always so messy growing up. I, you know, never remember the, its proper place, but I can always like see the mess on the floor and be like, okay, I know my scarf's over there. I know that shirt's there. Underneath all that is the binder I need. So like, it was like a game of memory. So it's like, I can, I cannot put things away and always find them. That's a mood. I, I'm kind of like that. I'm a, I'm a mess, but I know where my mess is. Yeah. I mean, my sister's kind of the same way. I mean, I guess you're right. I do lose things a lot. You do my, all the time. My sister. Acknowledgement, acknowledgement. This is good, Jackie. <laughs> my sister finds things like, like that. My mom would always tell her if I would lose something, she'd find it in like two seconds. And I'd be like, how the hell did you find that? I was looking for it for like two weeks. Well, I got to tell you, there was a funny time that, so Adam Fleming was over, this was at our old apartment. It was me, Colin and Adam. And he had a, he stayed over and he stayed on our couch and he had this necklace that was like really special to him. And like, he took it off to, to when he went to sleep and when he woke up, it wasn't on the coffee table anymore. And um, he was really upset and we we're supposed to go to the zoo or something. And like, we're looking around, we ended up going to the zoo and he was kind of bummed out the whole day. And we came back and I walked in the apartment. And I go, I don't know. I just feel like it's like here. And I like gestured to the chair, which wasn't anywhere near the coffee table. And they were like, okay. And I was like, just check. And they lifted it up and the necklace was there. What are you like a psychic? <laughs> I think so. I think that is my power. I mean, I speak a lot of things into existence. <laughs> it's really scary. <laughs> what is the dumbest way you've been injured? Okay. This isn't a recent thing, but this is, this pretty much sums me up. So I'm like, I think I was like maybe nine or whatever. And my friend Becky and I were walking. It was behind houses. So there's like this little path, right? And we're walking and like, she's walking ahead of me. And then there's like this pile of like, I don't know, it looked like ash on the ground. And so she walks around it and I was like, oh, I want to step in that. And I stepped in it, but it was hot coals. <gasps> it was the summertime and I had on, you know, flip-flops. <laughs> I burnt my foot. She, I was like, ah, and she's like, why would you step in that? I was like, I don't know. I just wanted to see how it felt. So like, that's kind of, like, that's the dumbest way I've ever been injured for sure. Pretty bleak over here. Have you ever experienced any paranormal activity while doing a Broadway show or on tour? No, I've experienced paranormal activity, but just not in a theater. But people always said 
the um, the Oriental Theater when I was there, but now it's the Nederlander Theater. Um, they always said there was crazy activity there. Um, I just it never happened to me though. Wait, do you guys listen to that podcast, A Funny Feeling? No. Oh, okay. I'm going to change your life. You, you listen. It's called A Funny Feeling, and it's uh, the, these two comedians. I forget their names off the top of my head right now, but they're really really funny. These two women, and they they have people like write in or you know record their their um, paranormal experiences and they're actually really really scary and the only reason I can listen to it is because the girls they're so funny so then it's like that juxtaposed with like the really scary stuff is like Ben and I listen to it when we go to sleep so you should listen to it it's really fun so my paranormal experience so um it's actually kind of weird so my my mom like a while back my mom reluctantly told me that she saw a little like she was walking up the steps and she saw a little girl run down the hallway naked and i was like that's really weird and then so one morning i'm like sleeping this is i'm in high school at this time and she like comes in my room and she starts patting the bed next to me and i was like what are you doing i'm sleeping and she's like nothing and um i went downstairs and i was like what were you doing she's like nothing 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 and, and she's like i just I thought I saw the shape of a little girl next to you. And I just wanted to, you know, make sure. And I was like, uh, okay, that's really, really weird. I wish you didn't tell me that. But <laughs> um, so then I think this was probably like closely after that. I was home alone. I was upstairs. My dog at the time, Spencer, um, or as I like to call him, Oon. Um, that was his nickname. Oon was sitting there. He was next to me. I was like in the hallway. I think I was actually practicing like walking in heels or standing in heels because I was Audrey and Little Shop of Horrors. So I was like trying to figure out like how I was going to walk in these heels. Um, and all of a sudden I hear a little girl go, Spencer. And he barked and ran downstairs. And I was like, oh, mommy and daddy are home. So I like ran downstairs and my parents were not home. That's terrifying. I called them. I said, you need to come home like right now. So the weirdest part about the, this is my mom and I actually just recently talked about this. And I was like, yeah, remember when you saw that little girl? And she's like, oh, that was you. And I was like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, I saw you run down the hallway when you were a little girl. And that's why I was so confused. I was like, well, you left that part out and you told me the story. She's like, yeah. So I was like, whoa. Because they say sometimes there's like these weird time glitches. And like, that's why we see ghosts that they're just, because time isn't linear. It's like portraits, pictures. If you could go back and give your younger self advice, what would it be? Don't be afraid. Just jump off the cliff. I love that. Do you want to talk just a, a little bit about your activism and your volunteering? Because you've done a lot. I mean, I don't want to focus too much on it because I don't want to take, I don't feel like I should get recognition for it. It's just work that we all should be doing without even thinking about it. We should just be learning and working towards um, ending systemic racism and making this world, you know, a place of equality. Like everybody should be able to have the same quality of life and not, you know, I know that, you know, black parents having the the talk with their, their children and like, that should not be in this world. Like we have to fight like hell to end that because that's, and I'm just, I just learned about that kind of stuff this year. It just started for me. I mean, I've always been, you know, um, I feel like I've always been on the right side of history, but I didn't do anything about it. It was just my thoughts that were there. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, equality for everyone, but I didn't do anything. I don't know. As a white person, I'm just like, all I can do is recognize my privilege and uh, work, fight like hell to um, end systemic racism and 
going to make mistakes along the way and I don't know everything and um, I just keep plugging plugging along and learning as much as I can. You're doing amazing and you're I mean you've even like like I told you before you've inspired me to do a lot I'm learning a lot I'm reading a lot more and learning a lot more so I mean keep doing what you're doing. And that's how it works right because there's there's Mm -hmm. people in in my circle like Tori Trowbridge and our friend Tiana like these are people that inspire me and like I look to them for kind of guidance and then you know of course I seek out my other other sources too but like it's a trickle down right so like I'm doing that thing you're doing and then you're inspiring someone else and like so it's not even about like a platform necessarily if you have if you have one person's ear that's enough you know you can evoke change exactly now you get the lightning round question yeah Jackie seems very excited (laughs) this is her favorite part of every interview yeah I'm really bad at this kind of doing this like quick answering thing if you could buy any type of food right now what would you buy dairy-free ice cream favorite Disney movie Little Mermaid are you a morning or a night person night easily night night out one thing that annoys you the most there's a bunch (laughs) can I have two yes sure (laughs) passive aggressiveness and also when people ask questions but they're also answering the questions as they're asking them in the moment so they're like are you gonna so what are you gonna do are you gonna go to the store are you gonna find something at home to eat or are you gonna do call and order out and if you be quiet i'll tell you but you just keep coming up with different scenarios so that irritates me what would you do on mars for fun um for fun I guess uh, toast some marshmallows <laughs> close to the sun, I guess. <laughs> or that's mercury. <laughs> Worst place you could get stuck. Oh, you know what? An elevator. I said that too. The uh, worst place you could get stuck is in an elevator with me. I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have you be. I'm like clawing people's eyes out if I'm stuck in an elevator. <laughs> I I'm get like, claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah I, me too. Absolutely not. Where would you go if you were invisible? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what? I'd go upstairs into my neighbor's apartment to see what the hell they're doing up there because they make so much noise. And I'm like, why are you always dragging boxes? Oh, good. I'm How glad she said that. So cutsy. How could you drop this many things? I hope my neighbors can hear you right now because they're the same way. I was like, what are you doing? I know it literally sounds like they're throwing bowling balls up there. <laughs> yeah. Kyle had a thing in his apartment where he was like, you'd go there and I, I've witnessed this. It'd be like, why is she always vacuuming? But then we figured out she's not vacuuming. She was doing that, you know, that ab roller thing. And she was like, and it'd be like, okay, well, even so, how many times a day are you going to ab roll? She must have rock hard abs. I know. What's the last song you played? Oh my God. The Wizard and I. Really? <laughs> yes, not because that's literally just played, played it a couple hours ago because I had to record it and send it off to for like some kind of fundraiser. So that's the last song I listened to, if which is can, not normal behavior. <laughs> if you could get a yacht, what would you call it? D's Nuts. <laughs> What what TV sitcom family would you be a member of? Oh, Three's Company. They're not really a family. They're like a chosen family. What store do you shop at the most? Probably Sephora. I had a feeling you would say that. Yeah, it's so lame. I'm like, I hate it. I'm like, I gotta go to Sephora again. Just because I know it's going to be expensive. I don't really have the money, but like, and then I get looped into like packaging all the time. I'm hook, line, and sinker every time. 
And I'm like, I need this and this and this. Last show you binge watched on Netflix. Raised by Wolves. Oh, no, on Netflix? Oh, uh, the Hotel Cecil documentary. Oh, I was actually going to start that this weekend. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. What? No problem. All right. Well, I won't take up any more of your time. Thank God. This is why I love you. I, just, I know. I love you too. We hope you enjoyed episode four. Make sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social media to stay up to date on all of our newest guests. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Once Upon a Stage Podcast and on Twitter at OUA Stage Podcast.